and welcome to Map Bites, episode 77. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, drag queens, tears before bedtime and a little more seriousness from Siri. But first, over to the Excel trainer, Mike. Little bit of catch up from you. Yes, thank you. We were talking last week about OPML. I've forgotten exactly why we were talking about OPML. Um, so if you. That's a good point. Mm, um, anyway, we were talking about OPML, and you asked me about whether Excel or Numbers could read it. And the answer is Numbers definitely can't open OPML files, and Excel can, but. What it does is it puts each line of the OPML file into a separate cell down a single column. It retains the indent structure. What it does is it sticks spaces into the cells to give the appearance of an, of an indented structure. So although, yes, it opens it, it's not really actually very useful at all. Marvellous. Mm. Scapel. That was why. Scapel. It. Scapel. Yeah, it's all come back to me yes. now. Full horror of it. <laughs> yes, it was all about Scapel, which was um, allowed you to visualise thoughts. And I said that it could export to OPML. I was implying the best thing to do was then probably to import it into an outliner. And I just wondered if Excel could do it. I thought it would be able to, I must admit. Nope. I hate things that do the import and then just use spaces because it's not useful at all. It, would, it wouldn't even sort correctly, would it? No. Mm. See, this is a problem with Excel. It does its own thing. Don't like it. Anyway, other outlining apps do support it. So I talked about it on the outliner, but there are others. And I'll be taking a look at one of my favourites next week. There's a good start to the show for Minster. Two in a week already, I see. Spoiling you. Anyway, following on from last week's discussion of iCloud, I heard from Jenna and Jenna recommended CloudMate. Good call good call. I use that and what that gives you, if you've never heard of it, it's an app you install on your Mac and it gives you a lovely interface to your iCloud data. Uh, you're you know, locally on that Mac so you can actually go into it and make copies and backups. Now you could do that anyway through the file structure but it's very difficult to find the stuff and CloudMate gives you a wonderful interface to it. So if you want to make manual backups or move something somewhere else that is a great app to do it with. I think my problem with that was, I'm still using it, but um, I think there was a, a test of, you know, a trial version of some description. But when you came to buy it, you can only get the updates via their update thing. So you buy it and you install a version. But then if you try and install the trial, you know, so the one that you would download from Mac Update, um, you'd have to go through the activation again. So you do have to update it via the in-app update. But apart from that, it does work very, very well. And it does give you um, an interface to every iCloud app. So you'll even find things in there that wouldn't actually make much sense in terms of, oh, I'll take that data and do something with it. So say like your um, Tweetbot sync data or something like that. Uh, I think the day one data of mine was in there all in individual files at one point. So um, that was why managing it in the file structure was difficult because it just dumps everything in one folder. Not helpful at all. So CloudMate, good call by Jenna there. We'll have to have a look at that in more detail when we look at the mess that is iCloud and how to fix it, I think. What do you reckon? Definitely. Of course, the big news of the week was the Apple event or as I prefer to think of it, the, the MacBytes Live, Live event. Yes, I've said it before, and no doubt I'll say it again. But Apple did do their best to spoil our fun, I felt. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much there, was there? Well, let's just say I was expecting a whole lot more. Uh, when he started with the iTunes Festival, I thought, what? I missed where that are the, bit. Where are the retail updates? You did the wise thing, taking the dog out for mm. a walk. Yeah, started with iTunes Festival. Uh, majority of the chat room, well, actually, I think there was only one who knew um, anybody under 50. Uh, we didn't really know the lineup much. I think our average age is um, more than I'd care to admit. What do you think? Our average age. You Not our average age. Me. The MacBiter's oh, average age. I don't know. The average age in the chat room I'm was... I'm not um, saying. Well, you weren't there. <laughs> no, we weren't interested in the iTunes Festival. And then came the retail update. We weren't much interested no. in that either, were we? No. No, uh, but then it got worse. Yes, then Jane walked out. Yes. Mm. She did have a shower date with Mark Dalton, though. Apparently. So I heard. As I heard it. Yes, Jane walked out because that's when we got to the games demos. Infinity I do wish Blade. They wouldn't. I do wish they wouldn't. That had some graphics that were just plainly terrifying. I, I don't know what it. the age is for that game, but I don't think I'd want any kids of mine watching it. Anyway, yes. Have you got so, kids? Who knew? No, don't be silly. 
he's got a phone he wouldn't he wouldn't play games there's no. not more sense uh no not the best start i didn't think bit bits but then i thought well he's warming us up and it's going to get better uh nick made a very interesting point yeah, nick spotted a, a mistake which admittedly when i was covering it live with with the map by its live event you know you don't have video you don't have audio so you're not quite sure but nick had watched the video and spotted a mistake when he was talking about pages he called it a spreadsheet that's pretty fundamental i thought yeah but anyone can make a mistake well i know anybody can make a mistake but you know if a microsoft employee had done that we'd be laughing like hyenas I thought that I thought if you've misspoken and you know you think ah no that's the word processor, um, then you could just correct yourself. Happens or to just carry on and hope people don't notice. No, that that will never work. The eagle-eared amongst you. No, people notice and they don't like things being kind of um, brushed under the carpet. Don't you remember when there was that Surface announcement, the one where there was no device, oh, no yes. date, no price? That one. That they one. just sort of had had a piece of plastic. They were swearing blind was a tablet, and um, that Stephen is it Sanofsky? the one that the, win the Windows guy, the one who left. Um, he had a problem where the Surface crashed, and instead of saying, "Oh dear, it's a live demo," my my Surface has crashed. He tried to hide it, and. I remember all the Mac people that were watching it saying, you shouldn't try and hide it. Steve Jobs wouldn't do that. You shouldn't try and hide it. And he did, and they didn't like it. And I thought, well, maybe you know, maybe Tim Cook didn't even notice that he'd made that mistake. But you'd think if he used that for his work on a daily basis, he wouldn't have made that mistake. Maybe they're renaming the apps. Maybe Pages is going to be the spreadsheet. Maybe. But whatever, bit of a mistake there. Well spotted, Nick. Eagle-eared, eagle-eared. Um, Oz Rose was drowning her sorrows and mine, which was very kind of her. I'm teetotal, so she obliged and acted as my designated drinker. So thank you kindly for that one. See, most people have a designated driver. Me, I have a designated drinker. And Oz Rose was it. Oh, downed quite, quite a lot on the night, didn't she? She did, I think. So although there was no mention of the illuminated backside in the presentation, which we always like to um, hang out for in the Matt Bites chat room. I'm pretty sure Oz Rose would have um, imagined her fair share of illuminated backsides after her consumption. So very, very kind that. We must do that again. I enjoyed that. Mm. And I'm sure Rose did as well. I'm sure she did. But then there was um, there were little disappointments along the way, weren't there? You mean the new eye work? Eye work. <laughs> Just don't mention it. Gutted. Yes, we had uh, tears before bedtime at Matabytes HQ. Well, I got a little overexcited, didn't I, when he mentioned I work, as Jane will attest. I did. I really thought this was it. But they're making it free to new devices, which is a great strategic business move, got to admit it. If Microsoft did it, you'd say they were desperate. And, well, am I impressed? If they want to refund me my purchases, I can honestly say I might be. But until then, not really from a personal perspective. It's a great, great business move. But I always think if an app's free, it's sort of tantamount to, to dying and there's nothing you can really do about it. So it, all it served to do for me was worry me somewhat more than I was already worried. But I've already mentally moved on to the next event when they will be announcing the new iWork. I wonder what year I'll give up. 2000 mm. and something. Well, I like to think I'd hang out a little bit longer, but you never know. You never know. Well, that was it, I'm afraid, for me. I lost all interest at that point. Yeah, Chris commented, actually, on Twitter. He said, um, the current I work, he said, works well for me, so what's the problem? Now, I gently reminded him he's not a power user, though apparently he never wants to be a spreadsheet power user. Strange boy. Strange boy, indeed. Oh, I don't think it's particularly a power user it's the features that when you use it on a daily basis you really wish were there the features that you access that you think do you know this could be done better in terms of numbers to me when I'm using it the performance is the biggest thing excel can handle thousands and thousands of lines of data and not break into a sweat I had a client and we did a test export and it there was a quarter of a million rows and it scrolled quite nicely get more than 50 rows in numbers and it just doesn't want to know it's the performance is terrible and i know for you it's the feature set isn't it it is things like lack of pivot tables um lack of scenarios lack of um, macro language or automation are the key things because where i work i'm, I'm you know i'm going off for example where i work a huge 
company um those are key things that a lot of people use and you know if you want to get uh penetration into large corporate companies then those are the things i think you need to be including in the application but apple are convinced that the availability of any kind of spreadsheet functionality on a mobile device is sufficient it has been up to now and will continue to be so unless Microsoft get their finger out of a certain part of their anatomy and get on with it. Because if there was, they've had three years, over three years, you know, three and a half years to get Excel onto a tablet. And if they had done, then performance wise and feature set wise, if it was almost as fully featured as a desktop, then numbers wouldn't be able to touch it. Very now, true. The, the implementation of numbers is very, very different to the approach that Microsoft have taken. Numbers is fantastic on you know, for what it does. Let's forget the feature set. Let's forget performance. But in terms of, you look at it on the tablet, you know, on an iPad, and you can interact with it in a meaningful way without it being difficult. It's got forms. It's great. It's fantastic. But if the features that you need aren't there, then you are just not going to be able to use it. So that was numbers. Uh, pages, I've never really pushed pages like you do numbers or like I do Keynote. Some of the things that spring to mind that I'd love to see improvements in are things like the templates, uh, themes. I would love to see themes implemented where I could take a template and then like, I like the template, but I don't like the colours. And instead of changing them individually, I could apply a different theme to it. So a whole different range of styles, a whole different range of colours, a whole different look for the thing. I'd also like better access to and management of styles. If I've set up a document and I like the styles and I want to set up a similar document, so one say my, my letter, so I'm going to use this for my letterhead. So whenever I write a letter that I'm sending out as a PDF, I want to use that. But then I've got another file and that's my invoice template. So I go in and I put my details in it. Then I want them to have the same style, but there's no way to synchronise the styles between them or copy the styles from one and put it in the other. So it's stuff like that, which I don't see Apple addressing. That's not the way they think about documents. So that's it for pages. I know you don't really use pages much, do you? I don't know. I don't think I have as much need for any word processor as I used to. I would if I'm writing sort of a complicated thing, it would be Scrivener. Um, and other than that, most of my stuff goes out via email. So I don't use it anything like as much as I have in the past. But I live in Keynote. And um, what is there in Keynote works fantastically. It does. It works fantastically well. But there is no doubt now, feature-wise, that it's falling behind in what's included. So I'm talking about falling behind PowerPoint the templates that are in Keynote, when Keynote was new, almost five years ago, were very nice. Um, but now, five years of slideware theory on, and they look like an accident in a bullet point factory. And not many people put presentations together that look like that anymore. And there's no real alternative. There's no online library of templates. You can buy extra templates, but then managing them is a manual job. They're all separate little applications and there's no centralised management of it or online aspect to it. So I think the templates are now showing their age, shall we say. One of the main areas um, that concerns me is the photo editing. The photo editing in PowerPoint is light years ahead of Keynote. And I'm sure we mentioned this when we talked about Office 365. It's important because you don't always have access to Photoshop or um, Photoshop Elements or any other photo editor. So to be able to do basic edits is handy. And I know there are basic edits in Keynote, but that's the point. They are very, very basic. And if you do look at the photo editing that's available in PowerPoint, it's amazing. Most people would never need um, Photoshop. It's that good. You can change the colours, you can put uh, masks on them, you can do, you can take it quite a long way in PowerPoint. Is that enough to make me change? Probably not. It's not in the Mac version. We've got to wait till next year to see what is. But in terms of what should be in Keynote, I think at least it, it should at least match PowerPoint if it wants to try and compete with it. 
Another thing that's in PowerPoint, and indeed it's across all the Office apps, is something called Smart Art. And Smart Art is much more contemporary when it comes to presentations. So when you think of presentations, you see quite a lot these days that have sort of infographic style elements in them. And that's what Smart Art gives you. And I've actually reached the point, I do now have access, because I have Office 365, to PowerPoint 2013 in a Fusion VM. And I also have access to the Mac version. And I found myself sitting there thinking, I know what I want. I could sit here and I could try and do it with shapes in Keynote. But all I could do with those shapes is group them. I'm not going to be able to rescale the element that I create. It's not got true shape tools. So what I've ended up doing is actually going into PowerPoint, creating what I want, and then taking it back into Keynote, which isn't the best. And it also is putting in my head, now there's something that Keynote just doesn't do. Um, it also doesn't have, it does have basic sh shape tools, which I've talked about, but what it doesn't allow you to do, if I wanted, for instance, um, a circle and I wanted to cut a square out of it, I could put one over the top of the other and I could alter the styling. And I could make it look like that, but it wouldn't be a true shape. It would, it would be building blocks stuck together. It wouldn't be a true shape. And what PowerPoint has is a shape tool with true Boolean operations. So it's very similar to Illustrator. So if I if I have two shapes in PowerPoint and I want to union them, so join them together so they become one shape, not group them where they're two individual shapes and they're pretending that they're a single shape, but they are actually a single shape. And I, I've got a, a video on YouTube, I think, I've not, that explains that, that explains the difference. Mm, I'll, try so. and f I'll try and find the link. But because um, these, these are then a single shape, all the formatting works better. And there's nothing like that, um, nothing to that degree at all in Keynote. So what I've taken to doing is using either Illustrator or Sketch or iDraw to create the shapes and then take them into Keynote. But at that point, PowerPoint's doing everything itself and I'm having to go out to three, four and five other applications to make it do the same thing. Now, I talked about templates in relation to pages. And again, there is a, an online template library that comes, not exactly in, but, you know, attached to uh, part of your Office 365 subscription. And the quality is amazing. They are very high quality. Some are official, some are user sourced, some, the majority are free, but there's also links to ones that, that are paid for. And the, the whole of that online library is completely integrated. So I go to my file open and I say, show me what's available online and I can browse for stuff. So be it calendars or very detailed work, I don't have to do the work. It's already there. And that is constantly being updated because it's live. It's a live link to an online temperate library. I would love something like that in Keynote. Uh, I mentioned themes. So the, the availability of themes means that you can take a template and think, well, I like the look of it. I just don't like the fact it's brown with yellow text. And you can change the theme and create infinite versions of the template by tweaking the colours and all the other, you know, the text, the fonts, the whole bit. You can then save that and then you can reuse a theme across all the Office apps. So if I have some details in, say, numbers, and I'd like it formatted in the same way as my presentation, if it supported themes, I'd be able to do that. And it doesn't. It just doesn't. So I've got to do everything by hand. You can, of course, put a video into a presentation. Not that I recommend that. It's always going to going to going to fail. It's going to look bad. It's not going to work properly. But you can do it. And in PowerPoint, the video handling is fantastic. You can play that video in frames. You can mask it with shapes. You could put text across the top, you could put a text mask across the top and have the video playing behind, if you will, sort of a white mask and the video showing through on letters. So if you go to my YouTube channel and you're not subscribed, you'll see a video and there's um, a word flies across. It says holiday and like that. You can create that in PowerPoint with no other knowledge and there's just no way that Keynote can handle that. And of course, the whole thing is backed by SkyDrive. And with SkyDrive, you've got easy account switching as well. So you can have multiple accounts that you're accessing to get different elements and it all comes through to the same front end. Now, not something I use myself, but threaded review comments uh, work incredibly nicely in PowerPoint and they, they're not really there 
in iWork at the moment. Um, just to give you an idea of the kind of things that Microsoft have been doing, and they're not known for doing the right thing, but they, when they looked at the presenter's view, they made it darker in 2013. And you're thinking, why does that matter? But it's attention to detail. And I like that. It's the kind of attention to detail that Apple have had. But obviously no major update to these applications in so long. And the reason that I would say that's attention to detail is if you think about giving a presentation. So the presenter's presenting in a dark room. They're looking at their laptop. You're looking at the screen. You will see them look like something out of Blair Witch Project as their laptop screen lights them from the chin up and it can be quite terrifying. What Microsoft have done is note that and they've made the presenter's view darker so the laptop isn't shining up at you like that. That's so it's clever. A, it, it's real attention to detail that, isn't mm. it? I wouldn't have thought of that. I just thought we'll sit down or something. But that shows that they're thinking along the right lines. The presenter's view in PowerPoint is still absolutely abysmal, but that's not the point. The attention to detail in terms of it being darker is nice. And I say it's abysmal, it's not really PowerPoint's fault. It's the way Windows handles multiple monitors and, and projecting to screens that's the problem. But the presenter's view, huge, huge, huge improvements. Um, and finally, the, that was just sort of what came into my head, is there is a present online service so I have PowerPoint on my desktop. I've got my presentation. I've got people in a virtual room, maybe, or, the, or I've just got them on the phone and they just have access to the Internet. I click one button and my presentation's online and I'm presenting it live, which is great. And I, that's what I thought the iWork beta thing in the cloud. You remember, remember, I remember. that service that, that died? That's the one they killed. That's the one. Mm. It's sunsetted. I think that was what that was supposed to be, but not for editing. This is just for presenting it. So that's why in answer to Chris of, well, it works, what's the problem? What's there is fantastic. And I'd say about once a month, I find something in Keynote where I'm thinking, oh, I wish I could do it that way. And I try it and I think, wow, it works. And that's great. What's there is fantastic. It's just the little annoyances that four and a half years to five years on are driving me mad. One thing I do all the time is export slides because I want to be able to view those slides in 10 years and I export them as graphics. And that way I know I'm going to be able to see them as they were designed. And that's my business. That's what I have to do. So I'm exporting them as graphics all day, every day. It doesn't remember anything. I'm sure I've mentioned this. You have. You go into, you go into the export dialogue. I'd say I'm exporting this slide, this slide, and this slide, you know, 10 to 15. And I want to export them as that. Export it. And then I notice there's a spelling mistake or there's something not right. I want to export the same ones again. And I've got to go in and set the whole dialogue box up again. Now, that's not attention to detail. That's just that's just slick, slinging it on like a sidecar. Yes, I've oh, heard you can that export. rant every time you do. Well, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I've got to be providing the full detail. Thank you. Yes. So, yes, th those are the reasons why, those are the things that I've particularly noticed in PowerPoint. I mean, there's other things that I notice when I'm working with Keynote, but those are the things that I've noticed that I, I think, oh, I, I'd love it if this was there or that was there. There's quite a few others, honestly, there's quite a few others, but it's not that it doesn't work, it's the fact it could be better. Anyway, I work, remember my promise. I There was a, a show every day for a week, was my rash promise to Minster. I lived to fight another day. But Crafty Minster, not to be outdone, made a counteroffer. A Mac bites every week for seven weeks. Hmm. Well, here with week two of that. Minster didn't make it to the Mac bites live either. And guess what he missed? What did he miss? You know what he missed. He missed a million mentions of next week. Uh, so here is next week anyway. But anyway, back to the event. And um, my suggestion of the ITIT was nearer something revolutionary than Apple's. I'm seeing an interesting juxtaposition of the ITIT and fingerprint access. I can't half innovate, you know. Very true. Thank you. And then there was the migraine-inducing range of reject colours from the 80s in Bakelite plastic. Least said about those soonest mended, I think. Although, as it's Sunday, did you notice that tweet from Graham? Which one? The one that said, has anybody who was at the Mac Bites Live come round to liking these colours? I did. Now, how, how much Kool-Aid has Graham had, do you mm, reckon? I did see the tweet, yes. I think he had what was left of Oz Rosie's um, shardy. Mm. Mind you, there wasn't much of that left. Maybe, maybe there was another bottle. 
Uh, no, I'm still not liking them. Me neither. They're still not appealing to me. I think they'd all look better with a white bezel. But either way, I don't like the fact they're plastic and I'm not overly keen on the colour. So, Graham, no, I haven't had enough Kool-Aid yet. Um, but the MacBiters. The MacBiters demanded that we have another MacBites Live without the distraction of the Apple event to interrupt our fun. Do you know what else was suggested? What was that? A live recording of the show. Oh, yeah. Nothing like living dangerously. I'm more than willing, but I don't know how these two would cope. Never mind them. It's us that are the stars of the show. That's very true. One thing that struck me when I watched the video was uh, who Tim Cook reminded me of. And it was uh, Paul O'Grady. Ne <laughs> never seen them in the same room together. You're not wrong there, you know. Joe, I was thinking he reminded me of somebody. That's the yeah, one, isn't that's it? that's the one. Paul O'Grady, for those that don't know, is a TV presenter in the UK. And TV presenting isn't all he does. Now, an image of his famous alter ego is firmly in my head every time I look at Tim Cook. You mean Lily Savage? I do. And if you've never heard of Lily Savage, Google is your friend. So, uh, Paul O'Grady and Tim Cook separated at birth. Just like Bill Gates and Kermit the Frog, really. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So, let's move on to our next... Um, is this a rant? I think I've been very calm lately. We'll have this as a rant then. Yes, I'm not happy with this no. at all. Yes, um, the Omni Group released um, an app called the Omni Keymaster, and I love the idea of it. Downloaded it. Obviously, with all that's going on here, didn't get time to actually, you know, install, configure, swap my licences, and Apple killed it. Uh, its function was, if you had bought any Omni Group applications from the App Store, you could run this Omni Keymaster app. It would find them on your system, read the receipt in, and generate you uh, an out-of-the-App Store licence. Loved that idea. Mm, great idea. I actually only have one app from them in the App Store, and that is OmniPlan. Uh, all my other stuff from them, I've had it so long, it was pre-app store anyway. But I thought I'll definitely do this for OmniPlan. And um, as I say, Apple binned it before I could get round to it. Not pleased. Not pleased. So what it was doing was creating the ability to provide update pricing. So if you have it installed from the App Store, it generated a key. You could use that key to get an update, an upgrade version uh, when the next full version came out at upgrade prices. And apparently that is against the terms and conditions, which, as we've always said, it's Apple's playground. They make the rules. What surprised me with that being a problem was I've seen it done before and nobody said a thing. And I'm sure I mentioned this as well, and I was complimenting them on a very clever way to do it. I use Postbox as my mail client and I had Postbox version 1 and I'd bought it direct from Postbox. When version 2 came out, I think it was actually Mac App Store only. It wasn't just that, you know, they were they were giving you an option to go in the App Store. I think it was actually compulsory if you wanted version 2. So I went to the App Store and I bought version 2. Obviously, there was no upgrade pricing. Um, but there was a good deal on it. So I got version 2 from the store. It wasn't actually long, or it certainly didn't feel long, before version 3 came out. And they they took it out of the App Store. I think as the, the rules regarding sandboxing tightened, um, they decided they would take it out of the App Store completely. Which gave me a problem. Uh, if you were upgrading from one to three and then there was all these permutations, but if I, if you had two from the App Store, then you weren't upgrading, were you? But what they did was, if you installed version two from the Mac App Store on a machine, when you, and you close the app down, you rerun the app again, there is a home button at the top of Postbox. And what it does is take you back to the top level of all your mailboxes, your mail client, right to the top of it. And... What they'd done was they, they'd put um, a message on this home screen that said, you have version two of Postbox from the Mac App Store. If you would like to upgrade to version three at a reduced price, click here. So I did, and I upgraded to three. So they managed to get it through. Now, Apple didn't either didn't notice, nobody told them, or Omnigroup were just blowing their own trumpet a little bit too much, and Apple found out about it. Awesome little brown envelopes passed I've no idea, but it worked for Postbox. Mm. Now Postbox is out of the store again completely. And um, I got that with an upgrade price. So it has been done before. 
So clearly that um, that must have sneaked past them, I guess. Sounds like it. But it's annoying me now. Things like that in the App Store are majorly annoying me. Another example, not, not in terms of upgrading, but something that I wasn't aware of. I had Name Mangler from Manytrix software. And I was using that alongside a Better Finder rename, which I think is the one you use. I use that one, yeah. I've used a Better Finder rename for ages. Um, The only thing I found with it was the functionality seemed to be a bit all over the place. You know, you had when you were coming to rename your files, it was like, I'll do this bit and then I'll have to do that bit. So I thought, well, there's a new version of Name Mangler out. I'll give it a go. And I did. and, And I thought, this is okay. I like this. So, well, I think actually I tried version two. So I'm on version two of that at the moment. Then the new version came out and it was available in the App Store. So I thought, oh, benefit of the App Store, obviously, is the licensing that, you know, you can have it on all, you know, as many Macs as you like and all the rest of it. And there's no license keys to manage. So uh, they had it on a great offer. It was only a few pounds, maybe three pounds something by the time I'd converted it from dollars. And I downloaded it and, and away I went. It was sometime after that. The machine that is my media machine is still on Snow Leopard. It's um, a 2006 iMac and it's still going strong, only just. Uh, actually, if, if you've been with us long enough to remember that debacle at the Trafford Centre, it's that one. So um, it's sat there, it's on Snow Leopard. I come to do my software updates and I try to install Name Mangler and it wouldn't install because it needs 10.7 Lion. So I thought, oh, okay then, I'll leave the old version on there. And that was that. Then I was really using Name Mangler in anger. I was I was naming the files with the best and I had a question. So uh, I went to the support site and I, I put in my question. And just as an aside, by this stage, I'd gone through their help system and I'd been reading. And oh boy, there was a document on there that was about, oh, 10 pages long, all about the differences between the version of Name Mangler you buy from many tricks and the version that's in the App Store. Well, I thought, well, yours is has a license and the one in the App Store doesn't, so fair enough. I thought there may be a couple of other differences, but the differences blew me away. And I obviously hadn't seen that document at the point I made the decision to buy from the App Store and not buy directly from them. One of the key things was the same version of Name Mangler, so version 3, works on Snow Leopard if you buy it direct from many tricks. If you don't, you need Lion. Now that's a pretty fundamental difference to me. The actual The actual operating system it supports and the reasoning is it's the sandboxing. The sandboxing requirements mean that from the App Store it's got to be 10.7. So if I'd have bought direct from many tricks I could have updated this Snow Leopard machine but because I didn't I couldn't. The other changes that, uh, I mean, I've summarised these here. These were just the ones that really bothered me. The version from the App Store is slower. Now, it's 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 that fast to start with that the fact it's a little bit slower, you probably wouldn't notice. But it was the principle of the matter to me. And again, it's slower because of the sandboxing requirements. Um, there is an ability... Uh, if Name Mangler renames files. So if you can imagine you've got 50 files selected in the finder and you would like to just pass those over to Name Mangler without having to open the app and then dragging and dropping. You can do that with the version from ManyTricks. But if you've got the version from the App Store, you have to manually install a script, download it and install it into the app for that to work which, no, it's not arduous and it only needs doing once until you upgrade and then you forget it's there and then you think it's broken. But it's a bit of a niggle, that. Um, it's all to do with the populate from finder option. So that option isn't there unless you've got the script installed. But my, my question is, how would you know it wasn't there? How would you know about the existence of that unless you were up to your armpits in this document that I was reading? You would just think it didn't do it. The other thing, and this was the one that was driving me mad, this was the why I asked the question of Name Mangler about uh, converting a license from the App Store to their their own site. When you have something that writes from the App Store, an application that writes to your system, you will often see a dialog box that requests permission to write to the folder. Have you seen that? I think I have. But you can't remember with no. what. It's probably name Mangler. Every time you try and write to a new folder, it asks for permission. Now, the way round it, so it's not driving you insane every day, is to you know get a couple of files, put them in the root of the drive, and try to rename them. 
and then it will ask for permission. And because it's the root of the drive, that will sort of flip the switch for all of the folders on that drive. So, but again, it's something that you'd have to go through once. I think at the time I had something like 22 drives attached. So I went through and did them all and I thought, this is ludicrous. I'd rather pay again to get it from, you know, the developer than I would do go through this on every machine. Another thing that's missing from the App Store version is Pathfinder integration. Not allowed to put that in at all. So that's just completely missing. Uh, and the fact that um, you're not allowed with an App Store app to write back to the spotlight comments of a file. But the non-App Store version can do that. So I thought that was quite a long list of differences. More than I would have expected, to be honest. There is a lot there, isn't there, for what is effectively the same product from two different sources. Exactly. I mean, it's like buying a tin of beans straight from Heinz and a tin of beans from Tesco and two different, totally different tins of beans. More likely two totally different prices. But that <laughs> is a story for another week, yes. as you well know. Yeah, the biggest one for me was the fact, oh, right, so if I'd have bought it from Many Tricks, I could put this on my Snow Leopard machine. With that and the Pathfinder integration, so um, I had to um, go and buy it. <laughs> I, co I couldn't cope with it from the App Store in those circumstances. Uh, it gave me a lot more flexibility to be able to use it with Pathfinder um, to sort the spotlight comments out and the fact that it would then run on Snow Leopard, which the way that they've done it, I can save naming structures. So I, I rename video files all the time from, from my um, training recordings and I've, I've created saved settings for Name Mangler. It integrates with Dropbox. So if I have them on one machine, I go to another machine and my saved settings are there. It's fantastic. But of course, if it's not the same version of the app on the two machines, because one machine is Snow Leopard, then it just won't work. Now they're both running the version from the developer directly, everything's working perfectly. You're not going to tempt me into the App Store on that basis, Apple. You need to be much more flexible. Another issue I've had this week with the App Store, just and this isn't the App Store's fault, I'll grant you, but I like to blame them anyway. I'm in that mood. Was um, Sketch from Bohemian Coding. If you've never tried Sketch, it's fabulous. It is a vector application, so it's competing with Illustrator. Is it Illustrator? No, it's not. But there again, it's only £30. Um, it is far better at drawing than Illustrator is. Illustrator is far too fiddly for that. Illustrator, of course, has a whole truck full of functionality, which Sketch doesn't. But for basic drawings and icons and mock-ups, Sketch is fantastic. The only problem with Sketch has been long term. There are severe performance problems with it in terms of redrawing. So there was a new version coming out uh, and it wasn't a major new version. So it was 2.2 to 2.3, something like that. So I eagerly awaited it because we've got the promise of much better performance. So download it, I did instantly. And the performance seems to be a li little bit better, although I've managed to make it fall over twice, but that's probably me. What got me was I then st I, I was actually in the process, not testing it, I'd done that. I was actually in the process of designing an icon. Got to the point where I wanted to format it. So I, I'd created a style that I liked and I wanted to save the style. I looked down to where the style panel was, which is on the left hand side at the bottom and it wasn't there. So I thought, oh, great, you know, I've updated. Now I've got to go find it in the interface. I had this app inside out and upside down and I could not find where the toggle was to turn the styles back on. At which point to get Mike involved because he's got so much more patience with Google than I have. So you headed off, but you didn't find anything, I did you? I didn't find anything. No, so I carried on looking and in the end I ended up at Bohemian's Tender app, which um, is sort of there. It's like a support site. And somebody had asked, you know, it's disappeared. Where do I get it back? We've removed it from this version. Brilliant. Pardon? Removed it? What? We're working on making a better implementation of it. Right, fine. But that doesn't mean you remove it from this one, does it? Because then the styles are completely unusable. It's a bit like we're improving the bicycle seat. So what we've done for this one is remove the seat. No, that's not going to work for me. Now, that's not the App Store's fault, but because it's from the App Store, 
rolling back to the previous version is a bit of a nightmare. Um, I do make backups, so I could roll back if I wanted to, but then I'd lose the performance improvements. So I don't like having to choose that. Don't take something away when it's already there. Leave it and tell us that you're going to improve it. But to take it away completely when it's already been coded and it was already working, I just don't see the point in that. Now, I know you don't back up at all, do you? I don't. You just, you just oh, there's a new version. With gay abandon, install it. Apart from when you, you tell me. Have you never backed me. up anything? Well, I tell you all the time, but you don't listen. Uh, you can back up, obviously. If you've got a time machine, then time machine will help you. Uh, if you haven't, and I don't, then how I back up is I go to my applications folder and I right click on the application I'm about to update and I make an archive of it. I drag that archive out of the applications folder, usually stick it on my desktop, and then I do um, an open the info window on the app. I make a note of the version number and I tag the version number onto the archives file name and then I shove those in a folder and 99 times out of 100 I'm not going to need them but there have been times when I have needed to do that. Now if I've got most applications I can back up on a single machine so I'm I'm at the moment using three machines on a regular basis so if I update app number one and I make a backup of it on my main machine my other two machines I just update and I don't make a backup of it but some applications are very finickety. So if I've backed up this app on one machine and I need to install it again on another, it will let me do it. I just take the zip file to the second machine, unzip, and then whatever pops out, which is usually a .app file, I drag and drop it to the applications and I'm done. That's it. No problems at all. Because it's the same account, so I'm using the same account on all these Macs, but there are some applications that will not do that. Uh, one of them is ScreenFlow. ScreenFlow, if you back it up from one machine and then you transfer it to another, it will make you reactivate it. it. It will ask you for the account name. The other applications seem to just accept the account name that's already there and use it. That doesn't mean I could give it to Mike and, and he could activate it on his, obviously. But if it's my account and that's my active account on the second machine, it's fine. But ScreenFlow isn't. As soon as I try doing that, it needs reactivating on the specific machine I'm now trying to use it on. So when I'm backing up ScreenFlow, which I do have from the store, um, I make a backup on every machine before I install it. And that way, if I have a problem, then I can roll it back. And with ScreenFlow, we've had several problems, haven't we? We have. So much so, and it's so critical to what we do, that not only does Mike have his version and I have my version, we also have a version direct from the developer that gets the updates faster than the store version. But ScreenFlow is activated and it only gives you two activations and it's an application that we need on every Mac. So getting it via the store has the advantage you can install it as many times as you like, but it has the disadvantage you don't get the faster updates. And um, they actually did break something in one of them. Was it the transparency or was it worse? Can't remember. It was either the transparency, you put, you put PNGs in and they weren't transparent, or it was the transitions and they were just really blurry. And we needed to do this and I had to go round and back up all the old versions. And when we put the new one on, it didn't work. So I had to go round and then put the old ones back. But there is no official way to do it. And I'd like an official way to do it. Um, they could do something with that, surely. Just let you roll back one version. That would be a help. It would be a help, yeah. Um, I've found, actually, I remembered, now you're talking about it, that... Um, I've found the same issue with backing up iOS apps. The one that particularly comes to mind is the Sky Sports mobile app, which you know I use to watch live football. Um, and that version, or the, the late, I remember one time the latest version wouldn't work with an older OS, so I had to make sure that I actually had a backup copy of that. See, the problem with that is, if you've got to keep a backup copy like that, when you're out and about, you can't install that backup mm. copy. That is so a problem. It's, it's nowhere near as convenient, is yeah. it? And I know you said there's also other apps as well. There's other apps, yeah. Um, we were talking before about it. Um, apps that actually get removed from the store totally. 
Yeah, I thought of Bluetooth enabler, which was like a one-click Bluetooth thing. Yeah. And display recorder, which you've used yourself. I use that quite a well. I have used that quite a lot, yeah. Um, they also exactly the same story for the Mac App Store. Uh, I talked about timer utility last week, and once it's gone, it's gone. So if I hadn't have noticed and I'd wiped my machine, then I'd be scratching around for a copy of it. If I do make a backup copy of it, then I can use it until it stops working. I just wouldn't be able to pull it down from the store. And that kind of situation means, well, why buy it from the store in the first place? The whole point, you know, the major advantage of the App Store is the convenience. There is a secondary uh, element to it, which is if an app isn't from the App Store, then you don't have access to iCloud, although that could be a blessing. But but anyway, so for instance, um, with Panics Transmit and Coda, I have one outside the store because I had it before the App Store was around, and the other I have in the App Store. The reason I went for the in the App Store one, naive as I was, was that um, it promised to synchronise sites in Coda. So I decided to go for the App Store version. Um, circumstances overtook me because Coda broke on me. It wouldn't even run. And I was screaming blue murder, wasn't I? You were. Um, I needed... I, I, I have BB Edit and I, I edit my HTML and code in BB Edit. Um, but it was, it's, a bit, it's a bit bulky BB Edit, isn't it? Mm. There's a lot of interface and it's yeah. actually quite slow. I've also used TextMate, but that has been... Has that come out of beta yet? been in beta for about five Gave years. Gave up using that, don't know. Exactly. Did, did my head in, as we say, um, all the beta versions of it. So I went on to Espresso, and I loved Espresso. When Coda came out, I thought, well, I'll give Coda a go. And I, I did like that too. When it started breaking, well, when it broke, not started to break, it broke. It just wouldn't run at all. Um, I don't think it was actually an update to it. And I uninstalled and I reinstalled and it still wouldn't run. I then looked at Sublime Text and fell in love. So I haven't actually gone back to Coda. So the fact that my Coda version is synchronising sites using iCloud hasn't proved a problem yet. It might not be synchronising, actually. I will check. But Transmit uses Dropbox, and that just works perfectly anyway. So the access to iCloud for sync thing, as long as Dropbox is there, and as long as the apps support Dropbox, I don't think the access to iCloud for syncing is, is going to sway me much, to be honest. So that leaves me with the major advantage of the App Store being convenience. Um, but you lose that if apps are removed or you want an older version. What I think they could do is, like I'm saying, um, provide access to the older versions. Why not? If you compare that with what Adobe are doing with Creative Cloud, they are trying to pitch Creative Cloud as a personal App Store. And that's actually the, the phrase they use. And the way that you access the Adobe Creative Cloud personal app store is that you have an app running in the menu bar. And when you click on that, it lists all that you have available via your Creative Cloud subscription. And when it gets updated, I mean, I've had Creative Cloud for a year, just over a year. Um, I had access to CS6, all the apps of CS6. When Creative Cloud came out, which you know, silly to call it the same thing, but all the CC versions of the app, I then had those added to my personal app store. But they didn't take away the old ones. The old ones are still there. So if I want to install Photoshop CS6, I can do that. I don't have to worry about it. The activation is all handled with the app itself. I'm logged in as me. It knows who I am, and that's that. So I think that's a better way to do it. And I think the reason that Apple aren't doing that is where the files are. So my understanding, and if there are any developers out there, and, and I've, I've got this all wrong, let me know. It's my understanding that the developer has the app on their server, so it would be their responsibility to maintain an older version. And maybe the app developers don't want to do that, but I think it would be wise to do that, because otherwise you're relying on an expedited review to fix something that could, for your users, have rendered the app completely useless, as happened to me with Coda. Um, I think Adobe are actually heading in the right direction with that. They've also listened to photographers who have been screaming blue murder that they only want Photoshop and Lightroom. And now you can have that for only $9.99 uh, a month, which will probably work out about £12.50 probably. No, probably £9.99 as well, I'd expect which is a pretty good deal for those two applications. You're looking at £120 a year-ish. So um, I think they're heading in the right direction with that and actually listening to what people want. That was never on their roadmap. 
believe me, that was never on their roadmap until so many people said, well, this is what we want. And that's what they've then provided. So maybe am I am I just being insane here to think that Apple might actually listen to what we want? Yes. Fair enough then, but that's what I want anyway. So I'm I'm backing stuff up manually. If 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 you have an important app out there, if it is mission critical, make sure you do the same. Making um a, an archive is your friend. Trust me. So talking of software, I've got a fantastic little piece of software to talk about. Am I spoiling the review there? No. Am I giving the end away? Am no. I doing a mic? No. Carry mm, on. Fair enough. Well, the app is called Wimaway. Hmm. Wimaway. Yes, as in the lion sleeps tonight. As I'm sure I've mentioned, I use a small app called Caffeine and the sole functionality of that is to keep my Mac awake. Not that it gets much opportunity to sleep as it is. True, but for those fleeting moments in a day when my hands aren't flying across the keyboard, Caffeine keeps it awake for me. Now, Caffeine has several options. Um, when, you, when you start it up the first time, it runs in the menu bar. It says, welcome to Caffeine. Do you want me to automatically start at login? Do you want to activate Caffeine at login? And then do you want to show this message box at login You know, where every time you run Caffeine? And you can specify a default duration and you've got a few options. So for me, I don't want my screensaver coming on every two minutes or however long I've set it for. Um, because I might turn away from my Mac. I don't leave it, obviously, but I might turn away from my Mac for five minutes, but I don't want to come back and then have to wake everything up again. So I I leave caffeine on all day, really. I, I go for the indefinite option. But there are other options. You can activate it for five minutes, 10, 15, 30, an hour, two hours or five hours. So you only have specific durations that you can specify for it to stay awake. So if I wanted it to stay awake for three and a half hours, then I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd have to go for two or five, which is where Wimaway comes in. You get much more granular control in Wimaway. It has an option to prevent sleep until... And then when you select that menu option, you get a slider and you can slide that to whatever duration you want and be quite specific with it, which is is good enough. You know, that gives it far more option. But better still for me, it has a completely separate option. So you don't have to specify a time for this second option. The option is never sleep whilst running dot dot dot. And when you click on that menu option, you get a list of running apps. So if I'm running, for instance, oh, Word, and I don't want it to sleep, I choose that application. And once I've done that, every time I run Word, the machine won't close down as long as I'm using that application. So I like that option. That is incredibly useful for me. To give you a scenario, if I'm giving a demo of an app, so say it's Scrivener, if I close that app at lunch, I don't need to remember to deactivate Wimaway or Caffeine because it's going to automatically be deactivated when Scrivener is closed. So that's very handy. Another example, um, I made a video for Lion Disc Maker and it was a demonstration of how it worked and how it made a bootable disc from the DMG that you download. So I was recording my screen and I was discussing what happens, what you do, what the options are. And I got to the point where it was actually going to go away and make a bootable pen drive for Lion or Mountain Lion. There's a long wait while it creates that boot disk, but things are happening on the screen as it does. So there are there's not much happening for a while and then a window opens and stuff like that. And obviously I needed that recorded for the tutorial video. So I'm recording it. There's no mouse movements. And of course, the screensaver kicks in. So I've either got to remember to run caffeine. But what I could do with Wimaway is add either Lion Disc Maker or ScreenFlow to the Wimaway's Never Sleep Whilst Running list. The, it would make more sense to make it ScreenFlow because I'm never going to want ScreenFlow to record my screensaver or go to sleep on me. So I would add ScreenFlow to Wimaway's Never Sleep Whilst Running list. And then any time I'm recording, I don't have to worry about the machine going to sleep. That is brilliant for the educators out there. 
You could use that in a slightly different way. You could link WimAway to your conferencing system or the app that you're actually demoing. And then you're never going to have to worry about it again. So for me, Adobe Connect, but there's also WebEx, there's GoToMeeting. And I'd never have to remember. Now, I have a checklist and adding caffeine to my checklist meant I just automatically tick it anyway. But that level of control, I think, is fantastic. Now, what I haven't been able to do is replicate an advantage that caffeine has. And that is that caffeine is controllable by AppleScript. So you are able to hide the menu bar icon via Bartender. And then I created a script which I saved out as an application. And that means I can toggle caffeine on and off via Alfred or LaunchBar. So that was a huge benefit. And I've not seen a way to make WimAway do that. I'm going to carry on with it. Not seen a way yet. Um, so really, you, you can activate auto sleep mode or deactivate no sleep mode, depending on how you prefer to think about it when that app closes. But for me, if I if I close ScreenFlow, then my machine's going to go back to its default settings. And after five minutes, the screensaver is going to come on. After 15, it's going to go to sleep. So the granular control for that is absolutely fantastic. So I'm liking that, really liking that app. Now, you're now wishing you had that at work, aren't you? You can read my mind, can't you? Oh, um, I can. Yes. I was <laughs> I was actually just thinking that at work, um, when we're running a WebEx, because a lot of the training we deliver is via WebEx, when we're running a WebEx, there is some setting in the system that actually stops the screensaver kicking in whilst you're delivering a WebEx. Although having said that, if I don't touch the mouse or keyboard for 10 minutes during a WebEx, I want shooting anyway, because people get very bored just listening to me. But when I'm doing a classroom course, if I don't actually touch my laptop for, for 10 minutes, because I'm explaining something, maybe I'm stood at the board or something like that, then my laptop goes into sleep mode, the screensaver kicks in, then it goes into sleep mode. So I would I would love something like that, whether it's caffeine, whether it's uh, WimAway, anything um, would be better than, than what I've got at the moment. Which is nothing but mm. you secret mouse wiggler, you. <laughs> I think we've mentioned this before, and it's the only way i found to do it, because most corporate machines are locked down anyway is to take a watch with you with a seconds hand and put the mouse on top of it the thing is and i don't a, own a watch now obviously that's your problem mm. isn't it this is this is where the iWatch will come in that's what you'll use it for um the seconds hand moving around under the you know uh laser mouse thing uh means that it, it thinks it's moving but other than that you probably best buy a mouse a real live one and put it on a wheel or something <laughs> yeah so I there are actually a million of these things for the Mac. I don't know why nobody's thought about it for Windows. The other thing for, problem for you is when a Mac goes to sleep, you wiggle your mouse and two seconds later it's back. But your Windows machine, it's like 20 minutes and it's yeah, thinking about it, true. chugging away and logging into the network and all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of ways to do this on a Mac. Uh, I found five free ways. So the first free way is WimAway. It's actually a free application available from the App Store. So I shall put a link in for that. Uh, you've also got the option in Mountain Lion and only Mountain Lion to run a command line script in the terminal. It's called Caffeinate. So similar, similar thing entirely, just via a script. There's Caffeine. Caffeine is also free. So again, that's the one I have been using. That is in the App Store. And there were two others that I found. There was one called Sleep Time, which seemed more similar to WimAway, to be honest. Um, Again, it had presets and stuff like that, but it's free. So try it. See which one you prefer. The sleep time one was interesting because all the reviews were five star. Every single one of them was a five star review. And the last one I found was called Don't Sleep. Um, didn't like the icon. I know I'm fickle, but I didn't like the icon at all. Um, you and your did... icons. I know. It's got to be pretty. It's got to be pretty. Um, it wasn't pretty and it didn't have much in the way of configuration. But if you want it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, if you, what you want is one of its options, then you're good to go. But if you want more control, then I'd suggest WimAway is the one that I found with the most control. So I nearly did a U, didn't I? I nearly gave away the punchline. We don't review stuff we don't like. Have you noticed? Oh, uh, yeah. 
We look at something and think, oh, I'm not talking into Matt Bices about that. They'll think I've gone potty. So, no, I like that one. I like that one a lot. But whichever one I used, I would always use something like that to keep my Mac awake. People have said to me, why do you do that? Why don't you just change the settings? The problem is there's too many settings to change. And I'd be in and out changing them. And then it's like, well, what did I leave it set to? So I do have my default settings. And my default settings are... That when I finally abandon my baby for the evening, it can rest and sleep and do that kind of stuff. But when I'm working at it, then I, I use my second set of settings, which I use via an app, which is either caffeine to just totally say don't sleep at all. Or if it's because I'm doing something specific, like doing a, a re recording, something like that, then I would use Wim Away. So highly recommend all of those, really, if you have a need for that. But that is it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we love to hear from you. We have not heard from many of you this week. Not about the show, anyway. So uh, send your questions, comments and queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. And of course, you can always leave a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk. And don't forget, keep sending in your Mac Love Bites and uh, give us a shout out on social media. You can sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. So, is she getting serious again this week? Unfortunately, she is. MacBiters, you surpassed yourselves last week. So many of you contacted us to pass on your good wishes to Dad. We can't thank you enough. He was immensely touched by your thoughtfulness. Like daughter, like father, iPad and iPhone have not been out of his hand, even more than usual as illness took hold. Uh, a lifeline to his friends and his interests, including amateur radio and watching the football on his Sky app. So much so that we joke he'd take it with him when the end finally came. He really did love it that much. Sadly, Dad passed away on Wednesday afternoon, peacefully with Mum holding his hand. And yes, his iPhone was still in the other hand. So once again, thank you for your kindness and your understanding during this time. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Now keep up that cheerleading and we'll see you next time.